0: what is up guys this is all the smoke on strength and physique with your hosts adam and chris where we provide you with evidence-based information community support and
1: recognition to all who are betting themselves with fitness all right guys welcome back to another episode on all the smoke on strength and physique man we got a special guest and i would say as before we kind of started this conversation this man has got the experience he's got the knowledge and more important um He's got it, we're way ahead. Like he's way ahead, the the whole Educated Dieter, um, I would say company is way ahead of what we are currently doing. And just kind of, obviously this is gonna come out way before um, we release it, but the conversation I just had just kind of opens my eyes of how far or how messed up the fitness industry can it be. Um, And I'm excited to kind of hopefully, you know, educate you um, on this aspect that again, is sustainable and maintainable. And more importantly with how William said it right, what's going on internally is a direct correlation of what's going on externally, how you present yourself externally. So, um, Gillis, I'll shut up now. If you could, you know, tell our eight listeners, um, who you are, uh, if you could, please let them know what, what you're about, please.
2: Yeah, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. You know, I'm, uh, super excited. As you've mentioned, uh, uh, one of the assistant coaches of the educated dieter. That's also one of the co-owners of Advanced Coaching Systems. Um, but essentially, you know, it's, you're you're exactly right. You know, I think we're on the forefront of seeing just how much our industry essentially is uh, changing from where it first began, like 10, 15 years ago. Right. This is a relatively, uh, relatively new industry. So it was it was built. Its foundation was built on kind of extremes, if you will. Right. So. And that still kind of still lingers around, but I think over the evolution of our actual industry, we're starting to see that change. We're starting to see that turn. So I think a lot of what we do within the educated dieter is we're actually trying to just make that positive impact to take away more of the extremism that's really in our industry by just more broadening and having more open-minded coaches in the space that can essentially make more of a positive impact on the people that are seeking our help.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And if you don't mind, could you kind of explain your guys's approach um, at the Educated Dyer that you would differentiate from, you know, the current industry's approach? As you said, it's so extreme.
2: Yeah, so I think for us, you know, we deal with quite a, um, you know, various different types of people that are gin pop all the way to physique athletes, you know, um, I know with with William he's come from a physique background and specifically in the growth of his his coaching career. And um, so, essentially, what we do, you know, is we do a pretty thorough screening of our clients. We actually make sure that we're actually getting on calls with them at least once a monthly. But even before we actually decide to take on that person, uh, we get on a we get on a live Zoom call. We kind of lay out what we're we're making sure that they're a good fit for us and we're a good fit for them, um, just to make sure that they understand what the vision is that we have for our clients and that they're you know they're on the same page for us with us.
0: And I think the, the really cool approach that we'll talk about a ton is the hormones side of things. And that's something that is not really taught for exercise science individuals. Uh, I don't even Adam, you might be able to test to this, but I don't even know if it's taught at a PhD level as much as what it possibly should be. Is it Adam? Adam?
1: Uh, I mean, I can't really vouch for that. I haven't started it yet. <laughs> I mean, okay. But I would say, but no, no, no. So kind of beating that I, from just being in that course the next, the last two weeks, I was like, especially the bioenergetics course, like no no harm on, you know, all the classes that I take. I was like, yo, that was way more in depth from my, what, now six years in academia, mm-hmm. uh, which says a lot. And, the, you know, the problem, what I would say, even with physical therapy and Cairo and the, some of the trends that we've had on our our podcast is you know, academia is so behind, like a lot of those individuals don't even have experience in the trenches, like, like Gillis, um, as William and a lot of us, like those people that we're having on, they are in the trenches, they're seeing it beforehand. And that, again, that's the, I guess the problem with some of the research, but I haven't had any experience. And that was one of the reasons why I joined ACS.
0: Yeah. And I think that's extremely important topic and I'm sure you can uh, agree with it. Gillis is that academia, oh my Lord, I don't understand like why we are not coaching coaches to be coaches or not coaching coaches, but teaching coaches to be coaches. Uh, because once you become a coach, then you need coaching to become a coach. Like sure. it's, it's just not there in academia. And like, cool, I get that we will learn about the different chambers of the heart, the physiologically, the physiological aspects, that's all very important. Well, like we're not also talking about all of the psychological side of things. Uh, the main thing we're going to be talking about is the hormonal side of things in this podcast. And there's just so many different aspects of coaching that we just don't touch on.
2: Yeah, I think what's important, man, is that none of these things are independent of each other. So I think it's super um you know, I think it's the the evolution of how coaching is going to end up being is that all of these things are going to be kind of intertwined together and connecting the dots. And like you said, when it comes to like academia, you know, you're looking at it from a textbook approach that sometimes where the missing side of things is, and this is kind of where I've always saw kind of the flaw and trust me, I, I you know, I'm always one to make sure I'm following the literature, but in terms of specific, physique sports are even in of one type of individual when you're coaching that person one-on-one if you're looking at a pool of people and specifically nutrition you know there's a uh, such a large deviation of different types of things that are going on that you know for whatever the reason may be majority of the time it's you know a lack of funding, right? They just have to be able to take whatever the funds are there and put it in the direct focus of what their outcome and what they want, right? So if they're looking at something specifically more in terms of muscular hypertrophy, well, they don't have the funds to do anything and look at the endocrine system and look at the nervous system and look at the psyche of that person. But when we look at it from a real world perspective as a coach, well, we have to take all of these things into, in as a variable, right? Because that's really what relies on the adherence, the longevity, the retention of that specific client. Yeah, I totally agree. Again, that's,
1: I remember when we had our class last Saturday and I was like, man, like only, if only we could have, you know, dived into some of the hormonal aspects from the rapid fat loss study. But, you know, as you said, funding is usually that, that variable that we can't control. Um, mm-hmm and as Campbell would say, there's a lot of other people that are trying to solve cancer and we're just trying to figure out how much body fat we can get (laughs) off a already lean individual. A lot of people don't care about that. Um, but you know, as we can kind of attest to like we're in 2021, there's a lot more fad diets. There's a lot more, I guess, general knowledge of physical activity, but there's also an all time high with, you know, anxiety, depression, obesity, um, And I think, again, going into what we're going to go into today with his hormones um, and their particular function, if you don't mind going ahead and speaking about that, Gillis, um, we can kind of figure out what is actually going on
2: internally. Yeah, I think what you're looking at, like when you're talking about like what. Are the functions of hormones? Essentially, they're molecules that just are produced in our endocrine system that send certain messages to various parts of our body, right? So they're catalysts. They're catalysts that essentially secrete certain enzymes, things like hunger, blood pressure, you know, along with a bunch of a bunch of myriad of, of of other things, is too. That I think um, that really just is something that's oftentimes overlooked because again, it kind of goes back to the extreme side of things. Is that us as coaches? We're essentially, we're essentially have to make sure that we know to not be pressured by our client, because that's what our client is looking for with us, but also knowing when to hit the brakes when things aren't really going as well as what they should be to take a step back to look at things more internally. And a lot of times that does root to hormones. I mean, if you look at our coaching space or the coaching industry as a whole, well, it's predominantly female. It's, it's predominantly female, right? And then when you start diving into the whole hormonal side of things, that this is something that I've always noticed, right? And maybe it's just something that I've actually noticed, right? If you look at physique sports in general, well, women have a higher probability of developing thyroid issues. The statistics, the data is there for that, all right? Well, if you're looking at some of the things, and this isn't to discredit anything in the, in the natural bodybuilding world, it's because it's where I was brought up. But if you actually look at it, it's predominantly male, okay? That really kind of keeps the, keep that sport thriving. Whereas majority of the women, essentially they're in the IFB MPC side of things, right? You know, especially like the bikini gals. Well, keep in mind that some of the policies that really kind of take a toll in terms of the natural bodybuilding space is that you can't be on thyroid medication. OK, so there as a as a as a product of that, they essentially kind of can't. And because you see that a lot, you know, they have no reason to actually be in some in some of those organizations if they can just compete at NPC because those things aren't policed. You know what I mean? Yeah, I had no idea about that. So that's that's interesting. It's
1: kind of like feeding that 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 negative feedback loop. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, so I get, you know, in the hormonal aspect, um, what, what are you some of those key hormones that you pay attention to or all of the other coaches out there that should kind of really be knowledgeable about and they should look for within all of their clients?
2: I think the biggest one is probably going to be thyroid hormone just because, you know, for us as, as coaches, majority of the people that are coming to us is primarily for fat loss, right? And um, first,
0: be, what are some ways to measure this even? It's not something we were going to talk about, but like mm-hmm. for any other coaches that might be listening to this, they might not have example reading the hormonal Uh, blood work.
2: What are some indicators that can be caught by this too? Sure. Uh, So that's a great point, man. Cause majority you're right. Like, yeah, we can explain to them to go get blood work or may they consider blood work, but if you don't know how to interpret it, know how to read it, then it's really no use. It's not a tool for you then. Right. But, if you're looking at from more of the practical approach or what are some of the things that you should be looking for from their biofeedback in terms of like, okay, this person probably has this issue. It's going to be weight loss resistance, which is again, this is where the whole reverse dieting came into thing years ago and seeing, I think, well, when reverse dieting first came out, my first thought is, well, what's the difference between somebody that can respond really well to reverse dieting? What's the other person that's gaining 30 pounds on the same rate of change in macros? Okay, and so that's what made me kind of like there's something internally going on that nobody's really paying attention to. So when you're looking at that, the primary things you're going to look for is going to be the rate in which they're losing weight or if they're not losing weight at all, especially when you see the expenditure, it should be where it's at. You know, when all things are actually consistent the the client is tracking appropriately so there's not a learning curve there so there's not a learning point there they're already experienced with that and you're just not seeing their respond as they should so that's a red flag that there's probably something going on specifically thyroid hormone has probably um metabolically adapted you know the metabolic rate so So when you go ahead chris so for an individual that
0: is reverse dieting Mm -hmm. that is just chronically not they're chronically gaining weight quickly sure and it's not stopping it's not you you mentioned some people go through a reverse diet go smoothly maybe even initially they start to lose weight Um, but other people is just not like that what are some steps to help those individuals
2: So a couple of things. Right. So if we kind of back up a little bit and we look at thyroid. Right. And so when we think about what thyroid essentially does for our metabolic rate, what helps us actually utilize and oxidize um, lipid metabolism and carbohydrate metabolism. Right. So if someone already has something suboptimal going on there, then the person that has a better thyroid function is essentially going to be able to oxidize and metabolize these things much more efficiently. Hence, you'll be able to see much more mitigation of fat regain occurring as you're bringing up food. Where if the other person has never actually seen that, and maybe they might have higher blood sugar, maybe their thyroid is actually not in a good place. And so for that reason, they may naturally have a higher fasted blood glucose, but yet if the coach is pushing carbs and we're not checking blood glucose, then essentially why would you push a, push a substrate that is not even being utilized efficiently in the system? So utilizing a simple tool if they don't have blood work is utilizing maybe a glucometer to actually check blood sugar in the morning to say, okay, as a coach, if their blood glucose is pushing 100, probably not ideal for the keep ignoring that and just continue pushing carbs.
0: Now, in that case, would you try to have them focus more on increasing fat than initially? And then when when would you know to transition to more of a, a carb focus increase?
2: So in that case, you would. But again, that doesn't always fix the case, too, because you also want to make sure that what exactly is the cause for high blood sugar in the first place, right? Because again, if you don't fix what's the root cause of it, it's just going to stay there. You know what I mean? So again, you wanna make sure that there isn't anything going on with cortisol, the stress hormone cortisol, because that can also inhibit the way blood glucose is actually being metabolized and things like that. So you also wanna make sure that you're also supporting whatever stressors that are gonna be on the system too. Again, when we're talking about this, we're talking about somebody that typically has an issue, whereas somebody that doesn't have these issues, you don't really have to do a lot of these mitigation techniques and, and types of strategies.
1: What is, you know, when you talk about stress and the stress hormone cortisol with somebody that is just not being able to respond to whatever um, macronutrient targets that you're utilizing for them, um, what is the first thing that you kind of check within their stress response or stress environment?
2: Uh, Primarily just their ability to recover from the training bout, the amount of volume. If you start noticing that they're taking longer to recover um, if their sleeping patterns are becoming more of a problem, maybe they can't fall asleep or maybe they're having a hard time waking up, despite being in pretty good lean body composition, you know, they're not extremely obese and I've already had that as a problem. You know, that's that's definitely something to to consider. But that's usually the the things that you would probably look for. And then also not to confuse chronic stress versus acute stress. Okay, that's also another one and understanding that everyone's gonna actually have a ceiling how high that ceiling is going to be predicated on the person. Someone will have a much less threshold than the other. And that's why I think it's important to kind of utilize these as more of a case study approach rather than looking at like big pools of literature in that case.
1: Yeah. And I think building from just building that ceiling ceiling Mm -hmm. is, you know, like you said, working smart, not harder, maybe dialing down a little bit with your training and then going ahead and Just building quality training sessions from that, you'll be able to respond and recover. And you'll be surprised how much intensity that you can increase within those actual training sessions. And you'll be able to actually have objective increases within the weight room. I've found that not even within myself, but with a lot lot of clients, it's like you don't have to go to the gym every day, right? Maybe taking, you know, a self-care day of just going on a walk and, you know, just breathing for for a change or just something like that. Uh, because we live in this rat race uh, environment that is like once we get up it's like grind time and we can't Absolutely, stop man. checking our emails and our phones until it's midnight um, and that just has you know the heightened sympathetic state as you you've uh, explained a little bit in itself. Now for
0: for the individual that takes away volume that starts to see a positive uh, reaction within their thyroid functioning and their hormones start to adjust a little bit better. And they start to see some benefit changes. Is this a time where their volume threshold might be able to go a little bit higher? That ceiling might increase? Or do you think that ceiling usually stays the same?
2: No, you could have some positive adaptation there too. So there is some. So it's just really essentially taking you know the, the stressor off of the nervous system to allow those things to recover a little bit better. To be able to again continue pushing forward, so it doesn't necessarily they've, meet, they've met their genetic potential. It just means that you know you you have to slow down and allow some of those recovery things to be just if not as critical as the performance side of things too, before you can actually continue pushing the gas a little bit more. And so that's probably usually some places you can go. And then also um, different types of strategies in terms of, of food intake, making sure that they're also maximizing better uh, nutrient partitioning in, in the systems in that case. And again, 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 this is an athlete versus, you know, gen pop. You don't really need to do anything crazy for a, um, for a Gen pop and in terms of getting making things overly complicated. So
0: I guess this is something we should have covered before. But to get to this point where you even have to reverse diet, you have to chronic, you have to be someone who's been chronic, chronically dieting or chronically in a very low caloric, very low calorie diet for an extended period of time. What is this low calorie chronic dieting? causing within the hormonal system side of things? Like what are some natural trends that you'll, you'll generally be able to predict that'll happen?
2: So if you're looking at the single stressor or the double stressors, essentially from both training volume accumulation, where also being in a calorie deficit, when you kind of look, and this is something just because I've been doing this for about the last five, six years, as far as looking at labs, is that one thing you actually see is that pre and post labs, you actually see if somebody that has a really good thyroid There's a couple of different values. So I'll talk about that a little bit in terms of looking at thyroid so that where there's a little bit of context there. Okay, there is essentially, you know, your your TSH, which is your thyroid stimulating hormone, which is very uh, standardized for most labs. You know, most people that are getting their annual checkups, that's what they get. Um, And then also your T4, which is your inactive thyroid hormone, that's your other one component of that. Um, But then you have your free T3, which is also the more metabolically active for what we're trying to do for someone's sustainability and weight loss. Uh, But the other one that we actually don't see a lot and oftentimes is never checked is reverse T3, which is actually the unusable form of T3, okay? So what essentially happens is that single um, lab value is predicated on stress, okay? Whether it's mechanical stress, Um, um, environmental stress, emotional stress or diet like through nutrition. Okay, that one actually increases over that prolonged period of time over a chronic uh, um, time in terms of diet or whatever the stressor may be. So when that elevates, it actually starts inhibiting the way free T3, your active thyroid hormone, is actually binding to the thyroid receptors. And that's when you start seeing some resistance starting to occur. And again, you see that a lot in either people that have chronically been in a calorie deficit or just eat very low calorie, um, but you also see that in the physique world with someone coming off of post contest prep.
0: So does, does that resistance cause the T3 to become reverse T3?
2: Um, So essentially what happens is T4 converts over to T3 and reverse T3, right? So if you kind of look at it from that standpoint, you're looking at the inactive becoming either active as T3 or it'll become more of the reverse, which is a conversion issue that usually occurs in the liver. So we also look at like hepatic function in terms of liver health, um, because that's a big one. About 80% of your actual thyroid hormone is actually metabolized and synthesized in the liver. You so, know, I think. Go, oh, go ahead, ahead, Chris. Now you good?
1: <laughs> oh, so all right. I mean, so I think you know, the, with all of these hormonal aspects, um, what is one thing that I, I think we can kind of do almost immediately, um, other than maybe slashing some training? Um, what is the you know the, your first approach? Because I know we've talked about um, some sort of like detox, uh, vacation methods. Um, and that's is right. They're allowed to almost look within their diet and just make simple, quick approaches in that aspect um, and not only respond better, um,
2: but just look through nutrition at a different lens. So if the first thing I would do is essentially pull them out of the deficit. I would put them probably at maintenance and have them sit there a while. I think the biggest mistake that we see a lot of coaches do is that they immediately start reversing them. Right. And they ignore the fact that they're gaining weight because like okay well they're supposed to gain weight because it's a reverse, but if you just put them at maintenance and let them sit there for three, four weeks to allow the system to just recover. Then you're for one you're going to actually you're going to probably prevent some unwanted fat gain that may or may not be. Easy to come off when you go to put them back in a calorie deficit so that's the first thing that you would want to do, and the most. Um, The easiest way if they don't have labs, or maybe they don't want to get labs for whatever reason may be, um, you can check blood sugar, man, at home. I mean, a simple little um, glucometer, have them check that two to three times a week, first thing in the morning fasted, just so you can have somewhat of an idea of, of how things are actually going.
1: So with regards to if somebody has been chronic dieting, you're, you're for a recovery diet of bringing them straight back up to maintenance rather than that slow reversal intake um, that predominantly it seems a lot of
2: coaches do. Absolutely, because again, what's gonna happen is that you're gonna put them through misery in terms of their hunger hormones just being all jacked up. And I think the best way to do it is just put them out of maintenance and allow things to just kind of get up um, a little bit quicker.
1: How, so how are you, I guess, explaining that to the client of okay, hey, you're at X amount of calories now. We're gonna ramp you back up to maintenance. Yes, that scale is gonna go up, but the response internally is gonna be better for us long term.
2: I think it really depends on what kind of information and data they're providing and bringing to the table up front, right? So I kind of give you an example. You know I've had a client that was coming off of like a 600 calorie diet man super extreme right so this is where you have to make the call as a coach is if I put them on quote unquote calculated maintenance and that's 1200 calories i'm I'm doing a hundred percent increase on what they're doing right so in that case then I would be a little bit more conservative, because chances are, if they're only eating 600 calories, they're not having any hunger cues, they're not having any hunger cues at 600, they're going to not even, for one, not be able to eat that much food. So, and then, in that case, that would be the the case where I would make the call and say, okay, well, we're going to do things a little bit more conservative so I can actually prevent some weight gain, but at least being transparent with them up front, that way they're not caught off guard that if weight occurs. And somebody being on 600 calories, man, is for one, uh, I see it a lot more than you realize. <laughs> Two, she had been hypothyroid for the last five years, which is not surprising. <laughs> so my biggest question is, how do you know
0: if someone is trying to metabol- metabolically increase their activity regardless of the means, whether it's through increasing their nutrition activity, uh, whatever it is, how do you know if I guess the weight gain is reasonable or not? Like if, how, how can you identify if you could be trying other things instead of focusing on increasing nutrition?
2: Sure. So like how much is too much in terms of a rate of weight gain? Is that what you kind of Yeah. And
0: I understand like there's there's a there's a rate of increase that becomes beneficial for promoting muscle mass mainly. Sure. Um, So I guess keep that in mind as well.
2: Yeah, I think it's also predicated on what their dietary history is before we start the process, because if they're coming from a low fat background and maybe they're eating higher fats because they tend to like that method they're going to have some glycogen replenishment. So that's going to already be an off shift that you're probably going to see a, an inflated weight than what you would have normally see. That's going to eventually balance itself out. So that's usually one of the things I take into consideration. Um, but in that case, you know, I think it's just a matter of um, sometimes not being as linear. So like make sure the expectation is not there that they're expecting a shift, even for a coach shouldn't have to shift things from a week to week maybe we shift some things and maybe some things are just not moving quite as fast. So maybe we need to hold there for a little bit. You know, we may need to hold there for two to three weeks to allow some things to catch up or some things to, to positively start responding, you know, so that's kind of how I'd usually approach that situation. I think that
1: it hits a a nail on the head that a lot of people don't understand sometimes with either recovery or reverse dieting or getting out of a fat loss phase, it's going to take time because you ran, you know, your metabolic adaptations, you ran, your hormonals to the ground. So it's not going to just happen overnight. Um, just like that transformation of running through the things to the floor. Um, it's yep. going to take a process. Um, but what is, you know, the, some of the aspects are like this. Is there any sort of specific timing of either nutrition um, or training that you can kind of get the best bang for your buck through the hormonal response? Um,
2: I think the biggest thing, man, for like when you're focusing on somebody that may have a hormonal problem I think the biggest thing is trying to keep them out of a calorie deficit so in that case um putting them at maintenance being very very um it's a delicate situation right making subtle changes um making sure that depending on where their training volume is um both either if they were doing a ton of cardio the first thing i do is i start tapering that i don't just drop the bottom and say hey look you've been doing five you know five days week cardio we're gonna go to none you know um, so I usually start tapering that same thing with like step counts. A lot of people count step counts nowadays, man. So I usually try to taper those things as I'm pushing food up and um, and then I'm just paying attention, man, to wanting to know, like I ask on my my feedback forms is like, how was your overall week? Like, you know, they're like on a scale from one to ten. Would you how would you rate your stress this past week? Because I want to know about the internal things that are going on that I know that I'm not left scratching my head with and why they're not making progress you know what I mean yeah I totally get that
1: so what is and I guess another thing too um what what is the the biggest cause of like you know being in a caloric deficit like what is so catabolic and destructive of that approach for the hormonal Um, system specifically
2: yeah so for that one specifically it's going to be thyroid man thyroid's going to always kind of reduce over a specific amount of time, you know, I think there was a study that we've actually had where uh, we've seen where after about seven to 10 days of being in a calorie deficit where calories were reduced about, I think, 20 to 35 percent below maintenance calories, um, thyroid hormones reduced to about 65 percent. Now is less than two weeks. So you're having people doing this for three months at a time a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Now, what I guess, what are other approaches that you would
1: utilize to inhibit or, or prolong that adaptation with thyroid hormone? And then obviously you kind of already went into a lot of the other types of thyroid. What other hormones kind of you know, piggyback on that thyroid hormone that can only either make this uh, process harder or make it a little bit more in favor for us if we're doing it better the next time, I guess.
2: Sure. So I'll answer your first question in terms of what are some things that you can kind of medic- mitigate from like, how would you strategize to reduce thyroid um, in terms of um, down-regulating essentially, is essentially we would do some refeeds, you know, so we're not putting them in a calorie deficit straight. Maybe we're cycle cycling refeeds every, um, for, for a female, gender really makes a difference there too. It's important to note that um, for women, they have a higher um, higher probability and prevalence of um, adapting quicker than males, okay? So in that case, you know, typically we'll do a two to three day um, back-to-back refeed before putting them back into that. Now, when we talk about a refeed, I'm not putting them at super high macros only to off-shift the cumulative numbers where no- nothing ever happens, right? So, making sure that you're giving them somewhat of a stimulus to kind of get leptin back because leptin is one of those responsible hormones that stimulates thyroid production okay tsa specifically there so that's something that's really important you know that we actually mitigate and then if we actually are doing that for quite some time and we're still noticing a sense of rate of weight loss not occurring and you know considering this person's in a calorie deficit then at that point we kind of pull back from doing the deficit in and of itself, and we'll put them on a diet break for about, you know, usually some people do seven days, I'm a proponent that I've actually seen really good benefits from a two to three week diet break, just putting them back at maintenance and letting them hang out there for a little bit longer.
0: Now, what are some ways? We're talking a lot about these hormonal imbalances that's causing issues and becoming in a calorie deficit or losing weight or gaining weight too fast. What are some ways to really focus outside of nutrition? Because obviously that plays a very big role. What are some really good ways to recover to help these hormonal
2: imbalances? I think making sure that they have a really good grasp on their morning routine and their bedtime routine. What I mean by that is not waking up first thing in the morning, drinking a cup of coffee and running out the door because you have to be at work in 15 minutes, you know, making sure they're giving themselves enough time to actually really prioritize things and structure themselves to have better time management in that department and doing the same thing in the evening. I think for us as coaches, that's something that we can resonate with because primarily we work from home. Most of the time we're in front of a computer all the time. It's sometimes hard to close that laptop and not think about all the emails that you might have to answer the next day. Like, think about it man everybody working from home nowadays outside of just the coaching so a matter like what used to be your clients working at their a separate from their home are now working at home on top of doing homeschooling and all of these other stressors that are actually coming out and it's overwhelming for them you know what i mean so they don't get that outlet outside of their work they're mixing their personal life within that so i think it's important for them to one be able to at to acknowledge that and recognize that so then you can actually they can separate that and they can actually put it. so i think what was at one point coaches didn't really need to worry about in our opinion we take notice to that stuff yeah and go ahead adam i think that's huge and something
1: that you know i as an athlete we always like it's it's go harder go harder go harder and i, I think I take that same approach um with my work and i was like yo adam you got to chill out so implementing what you said, a morning routine and a nighttime routine really helped me um, not only just feel like, Hey, I I have a little bit more control in my life, but now I started responding and feel like I can, Hey, I'm excited to do X, Y, Z, but have that morning routine of waking up, 30 to an hour, uh, minutes earlier than where you need to be. So you can have some type of, you know, relaxation or meditation. Um, and just your me time, as we said, to kind of mitigate some of that stress, I think is huge and something that is very underlooked nowadays.
0: Yeah. And it's something that I personally took for granted for a very long time until I recently got a business mentor and my, I spent like a whole month looking at my schedule Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: like trying to figure out how to get it the most idea and obviously sleep was a big priority of mine trying to block off eight to nine hours for me just being able to sleep, but then an hour and before an hour and after where I'm not doing anything. And the not even setting up the the morning and nighttime routine, but just understanding that you should have a schedule for yourself and having times where okay like I have to run home and take my dog out like let's not leave 15 minutes for that like we need to set a little bit more f- than 15 minutes because we're also going to have to eat when we go home too and if you give yourself 10 minutes to do those two things you're going to be every single day you're going to be going nonstop. so besides setting a schedule what are some other things that could help possibly focus on these hormonal recovery methods
2: I mean I think like other than that, you could utilize some things like supplementation um, to allow your body like things like astral has a lot of good research in terms of like the hormonal stress response, particularly like cortisol, things like that. So I think that's important, too, because if you can do things like that, also kind of pulling back. And I know a lot of people aren't probably going to hear, want to hear this, <laughs> um, but pulling back from stimulants and caffeine, man, we live in a very caffeinated world where we're running on stimulants. And that, plays a, that takes a toll on adrenal health, man, and the way we act, our stress responses. And like I said, I know a lot of people don't hear that. I like to hear that, man, but it is what it is. That's the honest truth. <laughs> Guys, he,
0: he's saying a lot of people don't like to hear it, but like right now I'm like, I'm one of those people that I don't wanna hear it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm over here drinking caffeine like it's my job half the day. <laughs> and I'm like, I know that I should get off it. But I love that you mentioned ashwagandha too, because that's actually something I take every single day thousand milligrams. And I'm not huge on pushing supplements, but when it's simple things like that, or I know there's certain teas, herbal teas out there, but I haven't looked into those because I hate the taste of tea. Sure. I know there's tea and there's, there's a lot of natural supplements that'll just be beneficial in either for guys increasing testosterone or naturally decreasing cortisol. So those things are ex- extremely important to note. Uh, you also have your schedule to recap. Uh, And then also nutrition. Those are three big things that you guys could really focus on to really help the hormonal side be beneficial for your progress in the gym itself. Uh, It's not just the gym, it's outside. But Gillis, I'm curious what what's your view on calories in, calories out? Now,
2: a lot of people might not like to hear this one either. <laughs> sure. So, I th- man, so this is the thing, right? As like we talked about this in the, earlier in this, right? Is like this is kind of on the very forefront in regards to like looking at the hormonal adaptations that are essentially occurring and what may be the bottle that may be the single handed bottleneck of someone's progress, right? But I really think that when you look at calories in versus calories out, they're not 100 percent exclusive of one another. They need to be considered on both parties. Right. You can't really 100 percent go and say, hey, I'm going to help someone because they have hormone issues. If they don't have a constant understanding of generalized foundational nutrition in terms of eating in their calories or eating 10 percent of their total calories is coming from uh, is protein and that's it, right? And the, remain, the remaining 90% is coming from carbs and fats, right? So having a really good understanding for their clients to understand that. So, and I think that a lot of people that are really saying, oh, hormones don't matter or something like that. Well, I think they're missing the boat that most of the, like what we're, what we often talk about in terms of hormones are not exclusively saying, hey, hormones are all that matter, you know, but I think that what's easy, I think it's an easy route to cop out in my opinion, is that the easy thing is say is is calories in calories out is all that matters. Hormones are hard, man. They're like not a lot of people understand them. Not a lot of people have a background in them, you know? Um, but I can tell you, I've seen it in the five years of not only, you know, working as a, being an athlete for one. Okay. But two, also being in the, in the research realm, when I was through my uh, graduate school and going through things, you know, our primary group, my graduate school was muscular hypertrophy, right? That was my background. But then, You know, post-grad, I spent four years looking at labs in a clinical space because my undergrad was clinical. So I had a, I had a combination of both and they both had some huge importance to seeing things as a coach.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's huge because it seems like a lot of us have this dichotomy thinking it's either calories in first calories out, um, or some people are like, it's all hormones and that hormones are all the matter. But it seems like, again, we need to find that midline that again, they're all intertwined. As you said, everything. You got to look at that holistic approach because it's about that person in the middle. It's not about me or it's not about favoring one side or the other. Um, I I think, you know, the the most important thing is that we just, instead of, you know, bickering back and forth, a lot of us, we just need to have conversation like this. And I think that's one of the most important things um, from having you on having Will on is Chris and I have learned a a bunch Um, and it's an exciting approach. And as you said, they're hard, but With anything that is new, it's going to be hard, but with experience and in time, we'll be able to digest it and help that person in the middle. Yeah, and if if any coaches are listening to this and it's just super confusing, like
0: I'm right there with you. Like I'm writing notes (laughs) down as Gillis is speaking because the whole idea about how the hormonal side response and the endocrine – I feel like that should have been a course within itself in my grad program, like the endocrine system and – Take- I mean, we had,
1: we had cardiovascular, we had neuromuscular. And if you really think about it, I, it, it, the most important system, in my opinion, is like that nervous system and those endocrine systems, because they send the messages or transpire those messages for everything else to kind of uphold and either have a response or whatever you outlook or outlet you're trying to have. And, um,
0: and it's very briefly talked about too, like leptin, ghrelin,
1: uh, I think T4- t3 we didn't we didn't have a damn thing about thyroid hormone in our graduate class yeah i mean
0: like (laughs) these terms might have gotten like tossed into a slide here and there and it's like oh tsh what is that that's And gillis do
1: you think that is just because it's complicated or i I think one of the indication is possibly lack of funding or it seems that just people just don't want to have
2: an open mind i I i don't know the answer to that I think it's important to understand too that you have to look at like coaches that have built their business, very, very successful businesses from 10 years ago off of calories in calories out from a business perspective. Why would you change your business model now? You know what I'm saying? That also is another, a lot of resistance there too. So I think it's also important to understand that, you know, as being one of the, one of the bottlenecks, I think, just is in our industry, man. And I think that our industry is, is starting the like on both sides of the thing, right? You have coaches that are really wanting to be open minded more now to both aspects, but you also have more educated clients coming into the space too that want more than a single handed response of saying, All right, I don't need to change my macros this week.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think <laughs> you, I, I, I still have sometimes some phone calls, it's like, Okay, they have no idea what a macronutrient is, or I have some people that's like, Yo, we can get started right away, like, you know your shit. Sometimes it's just me holding them accountable and, you know, so they don't feel like they're spinning their wheels, but having some sense of direction. Um, But I think, as you said, right, we should always be striving to educate ourselves and know more um, to pass that on to our clients or to other coaches that want to be coaches, because that in in itself is going to stop this dichotomous thinking of, hey, it's only calories in versus calories out or it's X, Y, Z.
2: Yeah, I think it's important to understand one thing, too, man, is it's better to have all your tools in a tool belt and never have to use them mm-hmm. then to not have the tools necessary for somebody that's seeking your help. Exactly. Gillis, what um, for our listeners
1: could you give uh, maybe like three book recommendations for hormonal health um, and if you could also you know tell them where they could find you and your services, please?
2: Yeah, man. So I think some of the books that are really important specifically, um, I think if you're a female because again our space is really, really heavily in that department. Um, looking at the um, book, because again, most I know we talked a lot about thyroid stuff, but you could look at something. Um, it's called the cortisol connection, which actually deals with stress responses, um, and that would help out a lot of people, man. I think in regards to um, both genders, but then there's one called uh, period uh, period repair manual, which is another really good one that um, that really kind of breaks down and it's an it's an easy level for both coaches. And I think clients would be important to have Um, because a lot of women, man, a lot of women in our space are dealing with some form of hormonal dysfunction uh, in that department as well. So I think that would be highly, um, you know, something highly recommended for them to have, too.
1: And something that, you know, you touch on at ACS is right. A lot of individuals, when they get their blood panels back, a lot of their doctors will A-OK them. But what is actually going
2: on, would you say, Gellis? I think so. That's a whole rabbit hole we can go down, man. (laughs) Um, But what I'll say, man, is like you have to understand one thing is that most physicians uh, only have about 10 minutes to be able to review someone's labs or or to meet them. OK, and because In our healthcare system, most like your general practitioners um, are so busy to seeing so many they are so overworked and overbooked that they're about 12 to 20 years behind on the literature that's come out. So they're still doing traditional practices that are 12 to 20 years old. (laughs) Okay. So, and it's easier for them to have a reference interval on a lab panel. It's not, it's not highlighted. It's not red flag. So therefore nothing's wrong. OK, so they're not looking at it from a perspective of what's a functional range to get someone to not have um, the symptoms, the negative symptoms that they may be experiencing. They're only looking at a perspective from a diagnosis. They're never looking at it from a perspective of prevention. OK, are there are there symptoms? So just
1: because your hormonal may be a OK, they could actually not be a OK according to who you are. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, with research, right, we look at averages within our pool. Um, and I think that's like, as you're trying to say, a lot of the doctors do, and they don't even have the time sometimes to really find out who you are. So find the educated dire Gillis, where
2: can they find you, my man? Yeah, man, you can find me on um, social media and Instagram, man. At my, It's just my name, Gillis, G-I-L-L-I-S, um, 331. Um, you can find me on there. And um, William and I have a podcast also uh shameless plug there <laughs> but uh what's it called uh, what's it called let them know uh so it's called hey coach radio man it's myself uh william and i'm the co-host with that with that podcast man. The,
0: the way you guys have it set up too it's more of like
2: a a, a series right it is, yeah, and and again, man, a lot of the stuff we talk about. I, I think our first five uh, episodes had absolutely nothing to do nutrition related, man. It's really just kind of talking about our background, some of our upbringings, more on a personal level, I think, which is important for people to get to know us a little bit. Better. Yeah, definitely.
0: So, if you guys liked what you guys heard from him today, uh, go ahead check him out at his website. Go ahead check out that podcast. You'll get to know him and William at The Educated Diet a little bit more, and maybe they'll be able to give you a little bit more insight, whether you're a coach or you're a client looking for a new coach. But other than that, that was all the smoke on hormones, guys. Thank you and have a great day.